0: It was just a real blessing. Uh, it was just a nice time of fellowship and getting together. And uh, again, just a word of encouragement to everyone that uh, we were praying here before service and uh, somebody had shared that they were tired and they didn't want to come. Uh, and I confess I was tired and I didn't want to come either. <laughs> uh, but the great thing is, is that when we don't obey our flesh and, and go by the Spirit, you come and you're blessed. And it was really a blessing to be here. And it's just a word of encouragement to us because sometimes in our flesh we don't want to do the things of the Lord. We get discouraged, we get tired, and we think, oh, the best thing is to stay home and rest. And biblically there is a time to rest, obviously, but... Again, it was just a, just a nice time of fellowship, which is biblical, and it comes. It encourages up, encourages us, and stirs up in our faith. So again, I just just word sort of encouragement for you guys that even when you're thinking, about oh, maybe I shouldn't go to church, or I shouldn't go to this Bible study, or this prayer group, or whatever, that uh, you're always going to feel better for coming um, if you come here. Amen. 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 So Matthew chapter 26, I don't really have a title because I couldn't really find in words what I really wanted to say fully. So hopefully the Holy Spirit will lead us into the direction that he wants to go this morning. So let's go before the Lord and pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you again for your word, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that your word is spirit and in his life, Lord God. Lord, we just ask that you would minister to our hearts this morning, Lord, that you would give me your words, Lord God. Father, that words of encouragement would go forth here, Lord, that the saints would be built up in the faith, Father. Lord, that we be exhorted and admonished, Lord, as we look at this text this morning, which, Lord, every verse is so power-packed, Lord God. It is just unbelievable, Lord, and it's, Lord, it's such a challenging task, Lord God, to take your word and try to teach all of it, Lord. So, Father, be with our hearts, Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning, Lord God, Lord, that we would leave here, Lord, different, Lord. Father, that we would come here looking anticipating. You have a word for us, Lord, that our hearts have been prepared, Lord. Lord, that we so want to soak up and absorb, observe your word, Lord. But again, Lord, it must come through your spirit, Lord God. It cannot be an exercise of the flesh, Lord. It must be of the spirit. So we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we're looking at Matthew chapter 26 this morning. And uh, by God's grace, hopefully we're going to go 35 verses, which is... Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it's not, it's not that bad of a stretch. We've done some full chapters at a time, but this is really trying to just stay with the thought before we, we kick into the next, the garden. So we're going to really cover the last part of uh, the week before Jesus gets into the garden. And we'll look at that in two weeks. But again, we'll be starting to look at Matthew chapter 26. And if Matthew 25 ends the Olivet discourse, And that Jesus, at this moment, has essentially ended his public ministry. He will no longer be speaking to the public. Again, Jesus has told the disciples about the end times. He's told them what they should be doing while they're waiting, which is a word to us of what we should be doing while we're waiting for Jesus to return. And this chapter, chapter 26, we are going to enter into the last of the last days of Jesus' life. It's coming to an end. His time has come. And again, up to this point in Matthew, Jesus has done everything that the Father has asked him to do except for one more thing. He's got one final act that needs to be done. And within a couple of days, Jesus will fulfill the will of his Father by hanging on the cross. That's where this is going to end. And the cross is the ultimate purpose of why Jesus came to this earth. It's the reason. Because the ultimate thing that has to be dealt with in our world is sin. That's it. And there's, if there's ever time to think about sin, it's now as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. See, nothing else really matters until sin is dealt with. It must be dealt with. Because the root of all our problems is sin, all of it. And that was one of the struggles I had before I became a Christian. I didn't really understand why there was so much trouble in the world. I didn't understand why bad things were happening to me. Why bad things were happening to others? I mean, obviously, I was more concerned myself. I wanted to know why bad things were happening to me. I kind of cared about other people, but not that much. I wanted to know, God, why are bad things happening to me? And nobody really under- Nobody really was able to explain. And I never really heard it explained that it was sin. See, all the pain and heartache we have experienced in life is a result of the sins that we have committed, and a result of the sins that have committed against us by others. That's why we have problems, because of sin. People say Christianity's irrelevant, the Bible's irrelevant, it's an old book, it's out of date, and blah 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 blah. But there's one steady problem: sin. It hasn't changed and it's not going to change. It's sin. People are greedy, selfish. That's why we have problems in this world. It's because of sin. And that's why the Apostle Paul was able to say, he only boasts in the cross, amen? He only boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ. So as we approach this last chapter, we're gonna see that sin is gonna be dealt with. We're on the the crest of sin being finally dealt with. Now as we dig into this chapter, chapter 26, three dominant figures are gonna stand out. We're gonna talk about many people, but there are three dominant figures. And they're going to help us to see humans at their best, and they're going to help us to see humans at their worst, their best and their worst. They're going to help us to see the issue of blessing, but they're also going to help us to see betrayal, abandonment, and denial, all these issues. And in all these people we're going to look at this morning, there's going to be one shining star, amen? There's going to be one. (laughs) And that one shining star is really gonna give us a great picture of true Christianity, of what we should really be doing as Christians. And we're also gonna see in this chapter the greatness and the glory of God. It's here. We're gonna see God's forgiveness, compassion, favor, long-suffering, grace, mercy, and love, all in this chapter, every part of it. The glory of God and how he relates to us, amen? Let's start, look at chap- verses 1 through 5, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered to- up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And again, Jesus has just finished the Olivet Discourse, and now he's telling his (coughs) disciples that his time has finally come to be crucified. Again, as you study the Bible, you'll see in the New Testament that Jesus kept saying, my time has not come, my time has not come. Even when Jesus did his first miracle with the the wedding at Cana, he said, it's not my time yet. It wasn't his time. But now, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus' time has finally come. It's here. In this chapter, we're at the very beginning of seeing Jesus on his way to becoming our Passover lamb, sacrificed for us. We're told in the book of Revelation that he is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The entire Old Testament has been pointing us to this point. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Old Covenant, which sacrifices everything else with the temple and offerings were all shadows and types of Jesus who would come. So everything is pointing to Jesus of what he would do for us on the cross, being our Passover lamb. And this started back in Genesis chapter 3, where God prophesied that the seed that would come from the woman, and that that Satan would bruise this seed on the heel, but the seed would crush the head of Satan. That's a prophecy, and we're seeing the finalization of that. We're going to see in these chapters Satan bruised the heel of Jesus with his scourging, his mockery. But we're also going to see in a couple of days that Jesus isn't going to crush the head of Satan through the resurrection. So it's all unfolding for us right before us now. See, we've come to the point where these religious leaders have finally had enough of Jesus. Like Paul was sharing last night, they had no room for Jesus. Enough. They were, just, they were fed up with him. Jesus came into the temple. They were proclaiming, proclaiming Him the Son of God. The children were saying, Hosanna to the Son of David in the highest. And then He just goes off, just tells them where they're at. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And they're just like, enough of this guy. We got to get rid of Him. We don't have anything to do with Him. We can't escape the fact that the religious, religious elite here I have to stress that out, of that day want to take Jesus by trickery. This is it. The Bible students, the theologians, they're the ones. They're the ones that knew better. They knew the law. They're the ones responsible to teach the people the law. That's what they're there for, to teach the people the law. And yet they're willfully breaking the law in order to put Jesus to death. Fascinating. It's only been a couple of days as Jesus called them on the carpet because of their hypocrisy. Remember that? It's only been a couple of days. But we see here, it had no effect on them whatsoever. Woe to you, scribe, Pharisee, hypocrite, on and on. And it didn't affect them in the least. You whitewashed tombs. It didn't mean them just bounced off them. See, their hearts are so hard that had no effect on them whatsoever. None. And that's what happens when religion is only external and formal. Those type of things are gonna happen. The truth won't mean anything to you. It's all about externals, about what you were doing on the outside. That's what they are all focused about. How good you look, how you dressed, there's a part of me really want to dress funky coming up here today, but I said no, I better not. It's Christmas season, because it's all about that. You know, people get impressed by how somebody looks or how eloquent they are, and all that. About my fine grammar that I have here, right? But that's what it's all about. It's what people get bent on about the formals. But that's only external. And when it's only external, you're going to do bad things in the name of God. And don't we haven't seen it down through the days, through the years, right? What do people still point to? The Inquisitions, you know, all this other stuff. Because they were doing it in the flesh. It was all about the flesh. It wasn't in the spirit. See, that's why it's so important that as Christians we understand that God is mostly concerned with our hearts. That's what he's concerned with, our hearts. That God is getting into our hearts. That he's ministering to our hearts. We're told that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Spirit brings forth spirit. Flesh brings forth flesh. God's got to get into our heart, folks. It's not just about showing up here all dressed nice and everything. I'm glad you're dressed nice. (laughs) But it's about has Jesus gotten to your heart? Have you entered this Christmas season? Has Jesus gotten to your heart? Is he in there? Are you thinking about him? Are you meditating on him? And Again, you could buy presents for me. (laughs) (laughs) But has Jesus gotten to your heart? Are you thinking about him? Even before I was a Christian, my favorite time there was Christmas because it just seemed, I didn't know anything about Jesus to that extent, but it just seemed right. You know what I mean? That's the best way I could put it. And I still want to focus on Jesus. I want to be about Him. I want Him to get into my heart, to see who He really is. And as even we look at this scripture, as I looked at this, this section of Scripture just this week, just praying and meditating on it, it's just so deep. It's so deep. It's so hard to just cut off and go to this verse because you're thinking about Jesus. You're seeing Jesus in the text and how he's ministering to people. It's got to be about him. It's got to get into our hearts because if it don't, we're going to do bad things in the name of God. We're going to do wrong things. We're going to ruin his name because it's in the flesh. These guys are in the flesh. They're all flesh. But if you were to look at them from the outside, you'd be like, hey, they got it going on, but they didn't have it going on. So again, just a word of encouragement for us. Now verses 6 through 13, it says, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but for me you do not have always. From the pouring this fragrance she anointed my body, she did it for my burial. Or surely say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also be told as a memorial to her. So Jesus is now staying, it tells us here with Simon the leper in Bethany. And I love the fact that Matthew emphasizes the fact of where Jesus was staying, with Simon the leper. Now how often have we just read over that and go to the next text, which we will get to, but have we thought about or meditated on the fact that Jesus is spending the night with a leper? Obviously he's been healed, or Jesus healed him, that's how he knows him, but he was a leper. See, Jesus is staying with a person that is looked down upon and was considered one of the most drag, worst dregs of society. Nobody's going to go stay at the house of a leper. Nobody. But what does Jesus do? It's like saying Jesus came to Staten Island and he stayed with Bob the crack junkie, you know? (laughs) The religious leaders would be like, What? He went where? But that's what Jesus did. And it shows us that Jesus went to anyone that would receive him. And as Christians, we, we can't be the type of people that look down on anybody. Because Jesus came to minister to the worst of the worst folks, the worst of the worst. That's what we came to minister to, and us too, the regular folks. But we can't be a people who looks down on people, who says, oh, they can never come to church, they shouldn't be in church. Or look at this person, How, look at, oh." Jesus would go to that person's house. We can't look down on those type of people. Again, we think the church is supposed to be all cute and cuddly and nice and all that stuff, but Jesus wasn't about that. He's about ministering to the people. He wasn't about show. He's about substance. He would go minister to anybody. Any bum in the street slobbering on himself, whatever it was, Jesus was going to go minister to him and preach the gospel to him. And that's what we got to be about. That's what we're called to do to do what Jesus asked to do. See, we see the glory of God in Jesus fellowshipping with, fellowshipping with this man because it shows that God will go to anybody. Minister to anyone, speak to anyone, hang out with the leper. How? What would we think if we heard like, "Oh, Pastor Bob was over such and such his he house." Oh, he's where? You know? but that's where Jesus would go. Rabbi Zacharias tells a story of some Christian. I can't remember the guy's name. One, maybe G.K. Chesterton, or some very uh, famous uh, Christian philosopher from England. And he tells a story about before he was a Christian, he was doing work in India. And this guy tells he always wanted to have an illicit affair. That's what he always wanted to have. You know what I mean? So he's sitting there. Well, not sitting there. He's in the, one of the rivers in India. I don't know, the Ganges Rivers or something. And he sees like an Indian woman far away he's like, I, I, if I go over there to this woman, I know I'll, whatever money I have, she'll take it. Like, just have, finally had this affair I always wanted to have. So he's swimming over there, swimming over there. And, he says he's, and the whole time he's swimming, he says he's fighting against his conscience. Con- conscience help, him, don't do it, don't do it. So he's swimming over there, swimming over to her to go have an affair with her. So as he gets up to her, pulls up to her, she comes out of the water, and he knows she's a leper. Her face is eating up. And he looked at her, and he said, wanted to say, you leper. But then his heart was like, look at your leper's heart. He was a leper. His heart was leprous. Jesus is with a leper. We need to remember that, that who Jesus came to minister to. And we see here that as Jesus is sitting in the house of a leper, that a woman comes to him and anoints him with oil. So how is Jesus getting ministered to in this house of a leper? A woman is coming to him and anointing him with oil. Now Matthew doesn't give us much information about this woman, but John tells us much more. John tells us that this woman was Mary, that the perfume that she anointed Jesus with was worth 300 denarii. 300 denarii is equivalent to about a year's wages. That's how much money, that's how much that perfume was worth that she had. To further illustrate the cost of this, uh, this fragrant oil that she is gonna break in a moment on Jesus, if we remember, Jesus is going to feed the 5,000 people, and he has the disciples to feed them, and Philip said, it would take more than 200 denarii to feed this crowd. So it would take 200 denarii to feed 5,000 people, just men, so probably 10,000 people, yet this vial of perfume is worth 3,000 denarii. It's a lot of money. Also, the Jewish ladies commonly wore perfume flasks suspended from a cord around their neck, And this perfume was such a part of them, they were were allowed to even wear it on the Sabbath. So this perfume that Mary has is precious to her. Essentially, the most precious thing she has. So Mary took this most precious thing she had and she poured it on Jesus. You understand? The thing closest to her heart, she poured on Jesus. Now remember, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. That's his goal. So when the Jews of the early centuries read this story, they're going to be blown away. Again, the men would hear this story, and no doubt they would say to themselves, this woman took all this money, and she poured this oil on Jesus? The men would be like, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. It would be a testimony. But it would minister to the Jewish woman, in an even different way. Because they would look at Mary as taking something that was so precious to her, so close to her heart, and pouring it on Jesus. I would say that no doubt if a Jewish woman read this in this first century, she would just go, oh, grab where her perfume was. And Jesus. Poured, she broke it out and poured it on Jesus. See, this story will help women to see how truly valuable Jesus is. And again, as I read this story, as I meditated on the story, it brought conviction to my heart, reading about her and what she did for Jesus. Not condemnation, but conviction. Because it caused me to really question, what am I giving to Jesus, and what am I giving up for Jesus? It's reality. What she's doing. Will I be willing to take a year of my wages and give them to Jesus? Am I willing to give things to Jesus that are valuable to me, very valuable? Will I give them to Jesus? See, the most valuable thing Jesus has given to us is our lives. Has he not? We all love life. So, the most valuable thing he's given to each and every one of us. Are we willing to pour out our life for him? Are we willing to pour out our life for Jesus? Again, this woman didn't do this because she was looking for something in return she simply did it because she loved jesus she wanted to minister to him bless him she wanted jesus to know how much she truly cared for him and how special he was to her and how utterly thankful she was for him again i'm just trying to find words to what i believe was going on in her heart she just the utmost gratitude of thanksgiving was in her heart that she just wanted to give everything to jesus the most precious thing that she had she just wanted to give to jesus Jesus, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love you, I want to minister to you, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. That's what she's saying. Spurgeon said, Is anything wasted which is all for Jesus? It might rather seem as if all would be wasted which was not given to him. Powerful. Powerful. See, we get the picture that Jesus totally changed Mary's life. And she was utterly thankful for him and what he has done. That's what it came down to. She was just utterly thankful. It wasn't about religion. It was about Jesus. Again, this woman woman pictures so many things that are to be evident in a Christian's life. Gratitude. Do we have gratitude for what Jesus has done for us? Grace brings gratitude. Again, I've been a Christian like 18 years or something like that. (laughs) And it's still gratitude in my heart. Every day just thankful for what Jesus has done for me. Thankful. I want it to stay that way. And I'll ever want it to die. I want to be thankful today just as it was the first day I believed. Sacrifice. This will meant sacrifice for Jesus. As Christians, we're called to Sacrifice. Our time, our talent, our treasure, our life for Jesus. Willingly, love. Love is supposed to be a part of the Christian's life. Loving God, loving our neighbor, loving a brethren. Love is supposed to just embody our lives because we love Jesus. Worship. This woman is just worshiping Jesus. Worshiping him. She can't get enough, you know what I mean? And again, this woman challenged me to see that I don't really measure up. I wish I could say that I did, that I really believe I'm all that, and I do try hard. I'm not condemning myself, and I'm trying to condemn you. But the point is, when I look at this woman, I just like, Lord, I ought to be doing more. I ought to be doing, I can do more. Help me, Lord, to get to a place where I can do what she's doing in a way she's doing it. Again, it's a conviction. It's not condemnation. I want to do more. I want to love Jesus that whatever he asks me, I will give him, and I'll give it before he asks. I'm just so in love with him. I just want to worship him. And again, what will we not give up for someone we love, right? What will we not give up for someone we love? We'd give it all. Right? When you first, some of you are married, you know, some of you are not, but when you're married or engaged, you'll do anything for that person you're trying to win. Anything. No cost. You know? Nothing. You'll just do it. whatever, Whatever bridge you got to cross, whatever you got to do, you're going to make it work. But then you settle and it's like, oh yeah, let's be practical. <laughs> right? <laughs> let's be practical. And obviously we need to use wisdom. But we would have done anything for that person we're trying to win, anything. It should be that way with Jesus, that we will give all for him. Anything that he wants we will give because we love him. And we just want to worship him, amen? Where am I at, okay. I'm saying verse 8 and 9, but I don't know why I'm going to read it, but let's read it and see where I go. But when his disciples saw saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. This woman has just blessed Jesus, and we see that the disciples, what, are they happy about it? Absolutely not. They're not too happy that this woman has just blessed uh, Jesus with this uh, very costly wine, or oil, rather, perfume. John tells us in his gospel that it was actually Judas who started this and all the disciples just followed suit. Judas was the one who was indignant at the waste and the rest of the disciples they are good followers, you have to admit that. They They just followed right along with Judas. But John tells us it wasn't because Judas cared for the poor, but because he was stealing from the money they had for himself. So Judas here is what? He's in for, for himself. And again, what a sobering picture we get is we look at Judas, who is so close to Jesus, yet he's totally unaffected by Jesus. He's that close, and it nothing fazed him. Now verses 10 through 13. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, "'Why do you trouble this woman? "'For what she has done is a good work for me. "'For you had the poor with you always, "'but me you do not have always.'" For in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We see Jesus immediately interceding for this woman, which is a good thing. And he lets the disciples know that what they're talking about is wrong, that she actually has done a good thing for Jesus. She's done the right thing and again it's amazing that these guys sitting here with jesus they're sitting with jesus in the very room and yet they could think that this was a waste you have the son of god sitting in the room and you say oh this is a waste but again as i think about it and i examine my own heart if i was there at the table i probably would have said the same thing <laughs> we want to help the poor jesus <laughs> what are we wasting all that oil on you for i would have said it probably but as Jesus says, you have the poor with you always. There's always time to minister to the poor. There's always time to do through the work of the Lord, to evangelize, and many things that God has asked us to do. But what Jesus is saying here, there's something that should be done first, and that's worship. She's worshiping Jesus. See, first and foremost in the Christian life is worship. All of our service in the Christian life must spring from worship. It must. Again, Mother Teresa went to Calcutta because of her love for Jesus. That's why she went there. And the poor and down and outers only benefited from her love for Jesus. John Piper, maybe you guys know him. When he was graduating from college, we in college, he was contemplating the ministry, and he came to the conclusion that worship must be first and foremost, that worship must be an end in and of itself. Worship of God must be an end in and of itself. And as we don't look for anything else, it's worshiping God, that's it. And everything else just springs from that worship. And that's what Mary's doing, she's worshiping Jesus. there will be time to minister to the poor, make no mistake, they're always here. They're always around. There's plenty of time to do that. But there's also time for worship, which is the utmost of what we should be doing. That's why it's so important that we're here attending church. We're being fed, encouraged, equipped. Again, if you're not getting equipped and you're just going out there and serving, you're gonna burn out, you're gonna be in the flesh, and you're gonna make a mess of things. You're gonna ruin the name of Jesus because it's all in the flesh. You think you could will it, you can't will it. It's gotta be about the Spirit. Amen? And Jesus tells us here that because of this one act, he honored her by giving the command that her story will be told wherever the gospel is told. Wherever this gospel is told in the whole world, emphasis, this will be told what she did as a memorial to her. Amen? That's powerful. See, Jesus has just lifted this woman above everyone else he ministered to while on earth, including the 12 apostles. He didn't say, everywhere you go in the whole world, tell about Peter's antics, (laughs) you know, or... None of that. He says, but this woman, wherever this gospel goes in the whole world, you tell what she's done as a memorial to her. And she she exalts this woman because of one act she did for him, one act. Just pour oil on his body, one act. And what have we been seeing the last couple weeks? One talent, what do you need? one talent, but how are you spending that talent? One thing she did for Jesus, and now she's known for 2,000 years for what she has done. And again, this is an encouragement here, that God honors the things that are done in his name. No good act you do for Jesus goes unseen. Man may not see, man may make fun of you because of it. What happened? She did this good work for Jesus, what, is, what came immediately? Praise God, Mary, you're the best. No, they were indignant. (laughs) You may go serve Jesus, you give your all, then you get a slap in the face. But Jesus sees it. And it is a blessing that God rewards us for what we do. And we're told in the scriptures that we will be rewarded in this life and the life to come for the things that we do in the name of Jesus. You will be rewarded. God will not be indebted to anyone. We're not going to stand in heaven and say, You know, Lord... I did some things and there really was not too many rewards coming my way. What's up? (laughs) He'll reward you. You just got to make sure that you have your eyes out and understand the rewards. Amen? But the thrust here is that Mary just loved Jesus and that was enough for her. She didn't look for rewards. She just loved Jesus and she poured out all she had simply because she loved him. That's it. Her heart and her mind were filled to the limit with Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate in her life. She was only concerned with blessing him and she was blessed in blessing him. What's a blessing? Knowing you're blessing Jesus. That's what it is. See, for Mary, Jesus was the blessing. And that's what we need to understand. I need to understand. See, we need to see Jesus as Mary sees him, high and lifted up. That's how she saw him. Mary wasn't a theologian. She most likely didn't go to Bible college. But she knew what Jesus had done for her, and that was enough. And it gave her a high view of Jesus, where she saw him, and she just gave everything she had for him. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm And verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? They counted out them thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. And now what a stark contrast that Matthew gives for us here. We got Mary doing this great work for Jesus, and now we have Judas. (laughs) Mary blessed Jesus while Judas betrayed him. And what was Judas about? All about the money. He stole from the treasury, and we see here that he's asking money for Jesus. What will you give me for him? What will you give me for him? And again, many people offer opinions of why Judas betrayed Jesus. Some people believe that he just saw Jesus as great deliverer, and when he didn't come through, he kind of got bent out of shape because Jesus wasn't doing what he was doing. But if we just look at the Bible very closely, it's pretty simple. It was all about the money. Whenever Judas is mentioned in the Bible, it's with the money. That's what he was about. Judas sold his soul for money. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. No other opinion needs to be made. It was about the money. Just like many people do in our day, right? They sell their souls for a dollar. It's tragic. In construction, I go and I deal with people. I see people doing shady stuff into cash, is, you know, uh, swapping hands. It's like, you're losing your soul for money? Terrible. William Barclay said that the word here for silver is shekel, and it equates Judas to handing Jesus over for the equivalent of five pounds. I don't know what five pounds is, so I had to look it up. (laughs) If Judas had done this in our day, Judas would have handed Jesus over for less than a hundred bucks. Think of it this way. Mary gave up a year's salary for Jesus, where Judas betrayed Jesus for less than a day's wages. Not even a day's wages, and he turned Jesus over. <laughs> it's unbelievable. To Mary, Jesus was priceless. To Judas, Jesus was worthless. To Mary, Jesus was priceless. To Judas, Jesus was worthless. Nothing. Pretty powerful. Verses 17 through 19. Now on the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into, the, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Jesus and his disciples now were getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast. And again, in that day, you'll see that Jesus... Um, in the beginning of the chapter, it talks about the Passover. Here, the man mentioned the feast of unleavened bread. In these days, they spoke with the two interchangeably, so there's no contradiction here. It's just say a piece of uh, feast of Passover, feast of unleavened bread. It meant the same thing. But Jesus tells them to go and look for a certain man. Now, if you read that without any of the Gospels, you're like, what's Jesus doing here? But Mark told us that he was to look for a man carrying a pot of water. Now, in those days, it would be very unusual because the women carried the water. That's what they did. So when they went to this town, they saw a man carrying the water. Like, that's a guy. (laughs) you know. So it was kind of a a scene that they knew what he was doing about. But we need to see here, too, that Jesus was acting just like a regular Jew. He was a man. He was fulfilling the law. He was keeping the Passover feast, just like everybody else. Again, Jesus said he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. So Jesus is fulfilling the law here by keeping the Passover feast, just like all the men who are coming in at this time to Jerusalem to keep the feast. Now verse 20 through 25. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the ditch will betray me. The Son of Man indeed just goes, just as written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better, good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. So at this time, Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast. And there are many things that would take place in this feast. If you've seen the Passover Seder um, here at the church, you know that there's a number of things taking place. And the Passover was done to help them remember their time in Egypt to slavery. But also to point at those things of the future, of what's going to take place. Now as they're celebrating this Passover feast, Jesus gives them some news that will utterly shock them. These men have been following Jesus around for about three and a half years, and now they're learning that one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to betray them. It's tragic, but that's what's taking place. And it's amazing that Judas, as I read this story and thought about it, that Judas is so far gone that he doesn't even question Jesus on how he found out he's going to betray him, right? If somebody had you in the room and they kind of called you on the carpet, wouldn't you want to know how they called you on the carpet? But Judas doesn't even care. He's so hard towards Jesus, and he's so there. And because of what Judas did, he's forever identified with what? Betrayal. Somebody does something wrong. Who's a Judas? Who, who's a Judas? Can you imagine? Your, your legacy is, I'm the betrayer. Terrible. See, we're at the point now in Jesus' ministry that things are only going to go from worse to worse. Jesus is on his way to become the suffering servant prophesied by Isaiah and David in Psalm 22. He is that suffering servant. See, but as we see all that Jesus goes through, it should minister to us. Because Jesus is showing us here why he can be our great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. See, Jesus is now going to go through some very difficult things that you and I go through. And they're very difficult, these things. These are some emotional things that Jesus is going to go through that leave emotional scars that some people never even truly get over what he's going through. See, before Jesus is delivered up to be mocked and scourged, he's going to experience deep emotional pain in his life. The first thing he's experiencing here is betrayal. Betrayal. Betrayal is one of the most serious and painful things to deal with. Right? It's really hard to even put in words what it really feels like when someone you love and invested in stabs you in the back. It's hard. So Jesus, as a man, is going to experience what it feels like to have someone close to you whom you invested in and believed in betray you. He's gonna experience it, just like you and I. Even speaking about betrayal is painful, is it not? As soon as I mentioned that word, no doubt that some of you, pain immediately rose up into your heart. People have experienced betrayal in marriage, in family relationships, in the workplace, and unfortunately, even in the body of Christ, betrayal. And I know many of us can relate painfully to betrayal, right? And again, if I push this issue of betrayal, it probably will not take much for many of us to start tearing up because of the betrayal we felt in our lives. I would, (laughs) because it's not easy. But we see here that Jesus understands our pain. He's being betrayed. By someone, he invested it for a number of years. Again, he ate with this man. They slept in the same area together. And he's going to betray him. And again, when you go through some very difficult times in life, when you're in the midst of it, often we want to look for somebody to talk to who understands what we're going through, right? And even when you're talking to somebody, you try to convey to them the pain you're going through, it just seems like they they just don't get it. (laughs) Because it's deep And you talk to people And they give you answers Like I give answers And sometimes those answers just don't cut it (laughs) You try to be nice I try to be nice But it just doesn't hit the nail on the head Of where your pain is really at Because we don't really understand But Jesus understands So we can go to him with our pain. We can go to Jesus with our pain because he understands he's being betrayed. So he is our High priest. So when you pray to Jesus about being betrayed, you know that Jesus can intercede for you because he has been betrayed. He knows exactly what you're going through. He goes to the Father on your behalf and says, Father, I know what it feels like to be betrayed. Help that person. Minister to them. because It hurts, Father. And the Father knows as well what it means to be betrayed, right? Is that what the book of Hosea is about? The children of Israel sold themselves into uh, harlotry? God's like, I loved you. In the book of Malachi, God says, I have loved you, and they say, in which way have you loved us? God understands betrayal. Also, when we suffer betrayal, I only have three minutes left. Look out. When we suffer betrayal, it also helps us to experience and understand what Jesus suffered. You identify now with Jesus and his suffering. Have you thought about that? It helps us understand what he went through when you suffer betrayal. See, before I came out to Staten Island, I definitely experienced betrayal. But I never experienced it on a level I even thought was imagined. (laughs) Betrayal. I never even thought you could be betrayed in the way in which I have been betrayed. Just like all of you here this morning, I read this text and I say, Jesus is being betrayed, and it bothers me, and I would move on. But after the years of being out here, when I read the text that Jesus is going to be betrayed, I appreciate what he went through now. Like, oh, Jesus, you were betrayed? I understand, Lord. Man, and you went through that for us? It's powerful. But it helps us to identify with Jesus in his sufferings. You're understanding what Jesus went through, so he understands you, and you understand him. That's the benefit of it. So when I read that Jesus is betrayed, that's why I feel his pain. I know what it feels like. Ugh. Lord. See, that's why Jesus is the only Savior that understands. Nobody understands like Jesus, nobody. Again, Muhammad, he's, he's a, um, Allah is essentially unknowable. You're gonna pray to God that you just hope that you do your best and maybe when you get there, maybe if he doesn't change his mind, you will get into heaven, maybe. Like I told the one, the, kid, the Muslim kid I was witnessing to, God has many names, Allah. Like you could call a killer then, right? <laughs> he's capricious, but Jesus understands. That's what we're praying to. Verse 26 through 33. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, ye this, my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In the midst of the Passover, now they're in the Passover feast. If you know, there was four cups there, there was a plate there, they were doing the symbolic things. But Jesus does something in the midst of this Passover that was never done before. And that is he takes this Passover feast, the celebration, and points the focus to him. It's all about him. And again, as we look at this right here, this is where we get our communion service from, this Last Supper right here, this Passover. Luke tells us that we are called to do this in remembrance of Jesus. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that when we partake of communion, we're remembering what Jesus did in the past until he comes in the future. So that's what we're doing it for. And again, when we partake of communion, everyone, it ought to keep us in a fresh relationship with Jesus. Because when you partake of communion, you're remembering the sins that you've been forgiven of. You're like, thank you that you've forgiven my sins. And it also reminds us that Jesus is coming back again, that we're going to be in heaven with him. He says, I want to drink in this wine again until I'm with you and new in my Father's kingdom. So one day we're going to go with Jesus and have the communion in heaven. We're all going to be there (coughs) together. When all the saints are finally gathered in heaven, that's when Jesus is going to partake of communion again. Amen? Amen. See, we're having communion over and over again, but not Jesus. He hasn't had it for over 2,000 years. He's not going to partake of communion until all of us are in his presence. Amen? Powerful. But Jesus is saying that this is the new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah. The new covenant it is. And Jesus is also proclaiming his great humility for us because he is allowing his body to be broken and his blood being poured out for us. Utter humility. Jesus is humbling himself on our account. Giving his body to be broken. Again we had this woman breaking her alabaster flask, which was valuable, and now Jesus is what? Letting his body be broken. Amen? What are we allowing ourselves to be broken for Jesus and his kingdom? What are we allowing ourselves to be broken for Jesus and his kingdom? Romans 12 tells us we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's what we're called to give him back in return, our bodies. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God. That's what he wants in return, a willing one. A willing sacrifice. Let our bodies be broken for him. Now wrapping up verse 31 through35 <clears throat> Then Jesus said to them, "All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written: "I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I' have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee." Peter answered and said to him, "Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble' Jesus said to him, Assured they say to you that this night before the rooster crowed, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And so said all the disciples. So here's Jesus now. He's already dealing with the feelings of betrayal, but now he has to deal with the issues of abandonment and denial. Abandonment and denial. He's telling all these disciples here that they're all going to flee because of him. Then Peter, of course, speaks up in the flesh. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, including the (laughs) leaven, they're right there, he doesn't care. I will never do it. And then he's going to go and not only abandon Jesus, but deny him. Tragic. But again, we see Jesus here going through many of the things that we have gone through, right? Abandonment. Jesus is going to be abandoned by these guys he spent three and a half years with, and they're just going to abandon him when he needs them the most. They're going to split. Next week, they're going to come into the garden. Well, we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Jesus is going to be in the garden praying. All these people are going to show up, and then, where are you guys at? <laughs> they're just going to take off. Abandon him. And how many of us have to deal with the issue of what? Abandonment. Right? You ever feel abandoned by someone? Unfortunately, I have, and I don't like it. I don't like that I have to deal with the issue still that my father abandoned me when I was young. I don't like dealing with that. But I got to deal with it. But I know Jesus understands. Again, that's one thing that drew me to Jesus, that he understands what I'm going through and again we live in a society where many children have been abandoned by their fathers you understand that america is just a society abandoned by their fathers and it's getting even worse now because you know who else has abandoned their children mothers we live in a society where everybody's just abandoning everybody husbands are abandoning their wives you know it's popular now wives abandoning their husbands it's getting worse just like jesus told us and i don't like those feelings but Jesus understands what it means to be abandoned. Jesus feels it. See, but not only does Jesus understand what we're going through with abandonment, he also fixes the problem because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you for forsake you. So even when we go through difficulties after being a Christian, it makes it much more bailable knowing that someone is going through it with you, amen? Right? That makes all the difference in the world. Knowing that when you go through difficult trials, Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you. It might not be easy, but he is there and it's for a reason. He'll never be be abandoned again. Never. He'll always be there. Again, just yesterday, Jennifer and I were watching a movie uh, about some basketball coach. And in this movie, he was coaching girls. He wasn't coaching boys. And in this movie, uh, one of the girls... Quit. She got pregnant and, uh, you know, went to go live with a boyfriend, I guess, essentially. And then the girl ended up getting pregnant. She's getting ready to have the baby. And this is back in the 60s or 50s. They got no money, nowhere to go. They're living in a shack. But she told her, I guess, husband or boyfriend, I don't remember have ever said, but to call the coach. And the coach comes over immediately, tries to help her. And when the coach is there trying to help her, she said to him, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. In other words, I knew you would always be there. That's the same with Jesus. He'll always be there. He'll never leave us. See, when I see Jesus in this way, dealing with the things that we deal with, it causes me to want to minister to other people. Because I want people to experience what I've experienced. The healing that takes place when you become a Christian. That if you dealt with abandonment, you dealt with uh, betrayal, then you go to Jesus and he understands he can heal your heart. The Bible says Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. I want people to know that there is relief for their pain, and it comes through Jesus. He is the one who will take our pain away. He makes all things new. He makes things better because he understands, and he has the power to make it better. Amen? But in closing, we just see here, just for a moment, we see Peter. We can't leave this section. I'll just take a minute to look at it. Peter says, even if all are made to deny you, I will not do it, Jesus. I will die before I deny you. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> no, you're going to abandon me, Pete. <laughs> you're going to deny me three times. But what was Peter's problem? It kind of goes back to the beginning in the flesh. Peter was in the flesh. He had good intentions. He wanted to fight for Jesus. He wanted to defend Jesus. He wanted to stick up for Jesus, but it was all in the flesh. And in Christianity, we can't use the flesh. It's gotta be by the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. It has to be about the Spirit. The flesh does not help us in Christianity. In Christianity, it's all about the Spirit. You need the the, the Spirit's power working in you It's gotta be that way. It has to be that way. You need the Spirit to help you to fight, to live for Christ. Amen? Amen. So there was one woman here this morning that ministered to him. And all the people we saw this morning, there was one who ministered to Jesus. The religious leaders didn't do it, the apostles didn't do it, just one woman ministered to Jesus. So my challenge is for all of us are we going to be like this woman and give our all for Jesus. She gave everything for Jesus, only one in the crowd. Would you be that one willing to give everything you have for Jesus, whatever it is? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For you brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. Hopefully this woman with the alabaster flesh will challenge us to say, Lord, I just want to live for you. You are worth it. Amen? Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you, Lord God, for who you are, Lord. You are you, Lord, and we love you for who you are, Lord God. Just because you are God, Lord, and you created us, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you were in heaven, Jesus, and you left your heavenly home, Lord, you came to earth to dwell in flesh, Lord. Lord Jesus, you fulfilled the law by living a perfect life. And then, Lord, you were suffered. You were hung on a cross, Lord, to make a payment for sins, Lord. But then, Lord, you rose again on the third day, showing, Lord, that you defeated sin and death, Lord God. And you tell us, Jesus, if we just receive you as our savior, Lord, our sins will be forgiven, and we'll be in heaven with you for all eternity. So I just want to ask anyone here this morning, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you have not made a commitment to Him that He is your Savior. And coming to church doesn't save you. Being raised in a Christian home doesn't ch- save you. Calling yourself a certain denomination doesn't save you. You have to make a profession of faith, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Anyone here this morning want to receive Jesus? Anybody? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Anyone here this morning want to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? That he will give you the hope of heaven, take away your sins? You have a new life in Christ, heaven for eternity? Anyone? Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you, we praise you, Lord. Father, work in our lives this morning, Lord God. We just ask you to just minister to our hearts, Father. Go before us today, Lord God, and I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged, Lord, by this woman, Lord. So that we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hit the lights, Rick, right, please.